Let's go. I'm addicted to the game. No stop. Monday, July 19th, 104 of the Hezzy. Brought to you by basketballgods.net. These finals have been great. They've been great. I've been dead ass wrong most of the time, right? But they've been great. The entertainment value, the competitiveness, the legacies. It wasn't the finals we wanted. Maybe this was the finals we needed. All right, that's a bit strong. That's a bit strong. Saturday night, game five in Phoenix. As expected, the Suns come out blazing. Crowder three. Bridges three. Torrey Craig three. Right, it was the others for the Suns that got them out to that hot start. And it looked like for, you know, about four minutes there in the end of the first quarter, like they may just roll them over here. This may just be a blowout type game. But no, 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 because that's not how this series goes, right? Second quarter, Drew Holiday comes out and starts cooking Chris Paul. I want to give Drew his flowers. I was killing him, and I think rightfully so, right? We've all been killing him. He's been very disappointing in these playoffs. He was the huge acquisition. But in reality, they are where they are, right? So I guess he hasn't been too bad. And maybe I'm not giving him enough credit for what he does defensively. But if you go back and you watch the tape on that second quarter, Chris Paul allowed Drew Holiday to get going. I know he hit that first mid-range jumper to start the game. They were making a conscious effort to get him aggressive and in rhythm. But Chris Paul was undisciplined, opening up the middle of the floor, and Drew got two or three easy scoop layups. And then the three started to drop, and we got the Drew Holiday that I think we all expected. And look, I get it. Chris Paul's probably not going to shut him down anyway. But you know what it seemed like to me? It almost seemed like Chris Paul let his guard down against Drew. He had been playing so poorly offensively, he almost didn't respect him enough. And by the time he realized like, oh, wait, hold on, I got to dig in here. It was too late. Drew was already in rhythm. And you can go look at the box scores and look at Chris Paul's numbers. They don't really tell the story. It looked like he had a nice, efficient night. What do you have, like 20 and 10 or something like that, right? Nah, nah. Chris Paul was the root of the problem for the Suns last night. They picked on him relentlessly in that second half. Oh, Middleton, you want a bucket? Go get one. Drew, you want one? Go get one. And the Suns, for whatever reason, decided to kind of leave him there on an island in the mid post most of the time. I guess because of the way the others were shooting from Milwaukee, right? Pat Connington, another four three point night. He's leading the finals in threes. Lopez got involved, right? When the others are shooting well, now you're more reluctant to help. And so they were just abusing Chris. To me, the turning point of the game was when Book drew that fourth foul on P.J. Tucker. Initiated the contact. It was a cheap one. P.J. just gets beside himself every foul, right? It's, you know, he, he probably needs to relax, and he does get some cheap ones. I agree, but he's a bit over the top with the reactions. He's got to go about it with more finesse, and I think maybe he'll get the benefit of the doubt. So it's like, oh, no, P.J. Tucker's fourth foul here early in the third quarter. He goes to the bench. But the unintended consequence was it forced Drew onto Booker. And you saw Drew's elite traits take over. Said it in the breakdown yesterday. He reminds me of Ron Artest. Now, obviously, he's the guard version, right? He's a smaller dude, but his elite attributes are the same as Ron's in that it's strength and hands. 
it would be a great boxer, right? He's really strong, that center of gravity, and then those great strong hands to dig in at the ball. So when you're an offensive player, when you try to turn the corner or get an angle or bump him off balance, you can't do it. And then his quick hands are there to dig on the ball. And you saw it happen to Book several times in that game. The play where he he swiped him at midcourt, then backed into one of those awkward step back threes. It was just a huge performance from him, man. And Book, what did he have? Another 40? Did he have another 40? It feels like he's averaging 40, and yet it still wasn't enough. But I, I also thought he was trying to do too much down the stretch. It was the final possession of the third quarter, I believe it was, where he took a bad one. And it was like, oh, man, he's getting into hero mode. And at that point, could you blame him, though? Because Chris had been non-existent offensively and no one else was really going. And so, you know, I kind of understand why he was, but I also thought it would be a problem down the stretch. If you looked at the energy he was using to get to his shots, Drew was making him work so hard. I didn't feel good about it headed into the fourth quarter. Like, I don't think he can sustain this. And the Bucks keyed on it, and it really allowed Drew to make that signature play at the end of the game because he fully committed, right? He he came down and waited for him to turn around. I think if there was any thought of him kicking that out, Drew doesn't make that play, right? But he knew Booker was going to try to get the shot off, and so he sold out, rips him. The rest is history. It's the lob heard around the world, and the Bucks are one game away from proving all the haters wrong myself included. As for Giannis, I don't think I've ever seen him make more skilled baskets in one game. Now, I'm not a Bucks fan. I haven't watched that. I'm sure some, you know, Bucks fan can say, you know, January 14th, Tuesday night, you know, Giannis, you know, that's fine. I'm just saying uh, in meaningful games, right? In a playoff game, I've never seen him make more skilled baskets. You saw him turn right shoulder and fade a couple times. Looks like he has that little dirk now in the bag. And then he even had a couple pull-ups from the mid-range that looked very smooth for his standards. Find the opportunity in your misfortune. It took injury and fatigue for him to reach his final form because that's what I think we're seeing. We're seeing his final form because the game is actually easier for him right now. And you notice it's because he's playing slower in the half court. I get it. Like when, when he has an advantage out in transition, of course, use God's gifts and take advantage of it. But once it slows down, we all know that's been the problem with him in the playoffs. In the past, he tried to play at the same speed and pace in the half court as he did in the full court. And it didn't work, right? And so you're seeing him, again, the, the commentators pointed it out. Maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's the knee. It's just everything. It's forced him to slow down a bit. And you're seeing the results, right? We always talk about reads and seeing the floor. And if you look at the best, LeBron and Luka, they play in second gear, right? That's a huge part of seeing the floor and making all those reads. Because most of these guys at this level, like these all-stars, they can all make the plays. A lot of them just don't play at the pace where they can. And so, again, I think we're seeing final form Giannis being forced to play a beat slower and and see the floor. Saw him go left. You know, I mean, so we'll see. We'll see if this is something that he holds on to or, you know, because his nature is to play fast. I understand that he could come back healthy and fully charged next year and, and be back to his old ways. But I hope for him that this was, uh, that he holds on to this lesson and he learns to kind of slow down in the half court because it's been impressive. But I do want to say one thing. Let's not act like Giannis chasing down Booker and shoving him in the air 
wasn't twice as dangerous as Chris Paul's little attempt on that lob at the end of the game. Because I saw a lot of people, you know, we I get it. Chris Paul he has that is I won't even say a reputation. He is a known cheap shot artist. I understand it. But I just thought it was ironic that everybody was pointing that out when Giannis almost took Booker out of midair, very much like Danny Green and Clay Thompson two years ago. That could have been a devastating play. So keep the same energy when we're talking about dangerous plays. Chris Middleton. Is he going to be the ugliest finals MVP of all time? That boy, Al Kemi, the rudest in the game. I hit my drops. No, man, the dude is carving out a legacy, right? And we, I, have to put some respect on his name, man. So Middy Middleton, Cash Money Chris, whatever you want to call him, man, it's been super impressive. And, you know, the thing that's needed to be a great number two option is you got to be able to turn it on late or really whenever called upon. And I think we don't appreciate that enough. Right? Like we've seen Paul George in this number two sidekick role now for a while, whether it was with Russ, now with Kawhi. And the problem is he's so much better when he's the man, right? It, it, like you've got a lot of guys who are tier two number one options, right? And so then they slide to number two options, but they just don't have that ability because, you know, Paul George, he has a difficult time picking his spots. It's kind of like an all or nothing thing. Is he taking over? Is he the guy? Or is he just in the cuts and, he, and he's, he's out of rhythm and he's disappearing? What makes Chris arguably the best true Robin in the league right now is he doesn't need to be heavily involved. Fourth quarter, you can still give him the ball and say, bail us out. Right? He's able to pick his spots and be a lethal scorer in spurts. Now, you can point to the Nets team. That that doesn't count. That's the Justice League, right? And I'd, I'd probably put Kyrie as the best dude who can just like come in for six minutes and destroy you at any given time, right? But that's those, we're not talking Batman and Robin there. That's the Justice League. But just the, the number twos around the league, that's a trait that's underappreciated. Can you not have the ball for three quarters and then get going? Or, you know, just in spots. And that's what sets Middleton apart, I think, from a lot of these other guys that we consider number twos or Robins. That and then the degree of difficulty on his shots, right? He's just a, a not just a tough shot maker, he's a bad shot maker. But look, man, I thought the Bucks were done. I thought the Bucks were done after two. You know, the if you look at the shots the Suns were getting early on in this series, they were just too clean. They were too easy, right? And it was like, look, this, my eyes tell me this is done. But through all the roller coaster runs we've seen in these games, I think it's pretty clear that these teams are evenly matched. It feels like we're destined for a game seven. So I expect the Suns to somehow get it done in Milwaukee Tuesday night. It might take Monty going away from Chris Paul, right? It might just take, I, I, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I say go back and watch it. Who, what normal person goes back and watches the game? I guess Suns and Bucks fans might do it, but doing what I do, I'm watching the shits twice over and sometimes three times when you consider the editing process of the breakdown. So if you go back and, and watch it, if you want to relive it, if you're a Bucks fan, I guess you might, but Suns fans, if you go watch, Chris Paul was the demise for y'all in that game. It, he really was. He was, you know, and the numbers don't tell the story. I thought Aiton was pretty soft too. I know he had 20 and 10, but a lot of the time he was just getting bullied and out physical in the paint. Portis was punking him. Did y'all hear this reporter after the game though? 
Thanks, fellas. Um, this is obviously a really tough loss. Devin, how frustrated are you uh, for Chris right now? Next, next question, please. I saw people asking how this guy has a credential and what type of stupid shit is that? Bro knew exactly what he was doing, right? This is the viral era, the clickbait era. He knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, it was it's not out of stupidity. It's trolling. These dudes are trolling now. You know what I'd ask, Chris? Would there ever be a point where you're struggling enough in a game, you would tell Monty to put campaign in? If you thought it was best for the team. I'm sure I'd get the same response as dude got. Next question. But ultimately, hey, I, we've talked about it since the Clippers series. I guess they have to ride or die with Chris. But there's a certain point where it's just blatantly obvious to me how much better they are when he's off the floor at times. I'm not saying don't play him at all. Just play him more sparingly. We'll see. Bucks and six seems to be the mantra. I think somehow we're going to get to seven in Phoenix, though. Did y'all see KD was very active on social media over the weekend? He got on Twitter Live or Clubhouse or some shit like that. Here, here's some of the audio. Before I got there, it wasn't no triple doubles with no points. He did that when I was on the team. Steph and Clay both broke the three-point record when I was mm. on the team. They didn't do it before I got there. They did it when I was on the team. But the stats also show that you on the Warriors was a better player. The stats don't lie. What, I how? lie, you lie, numbers don't. Yo, I averaged 32 points in the OKC. I averaged 20. At what efficiency? At what at what better. efficiency though? <laughs> That's not better. I shot 50% in OKC too. It don't make sense when you say that. It don't make sense. From like let's keep it simple, down to the simple part of the game. Did I win the MVP in OKC? To me, he wasn't a better player. KD's right. He wasn't a better player in Golden State than he was in Oklahoma City. But in Oklahoma City, he had to do too much to ultimately finish the job late in the playoffs, deep in games. And you saw that in the Warriors series, right? He had, to, he had to carry too much of a load. And so ultimately, he wasn't efficient. He couldn't get it done. Coming to Golden State, what it did was it allowed him to do less night in and night out so he could be better when it truly mattered, deep in the playoffs and on the final stage. He could have got to the finals in OKC, but it wouldn't have looked the same against LeBron and those dagger pull-ups. He wouldn't have had that juice because he would have already spent it getting there. That's the difference to me. So apparently, Dame is going to officially ask out any day now. And so now we're just all waiting for the official list of teams. I think we can all probably guess what those teams look like. It's probably something along the lines of the Knicks, the Warriors, the Lakers and the Heat, the usual suspects for when this situation arises. My question again, though, is, look, if he's locked in, right, he has just recently signed a big deal. So why can't Portland just send him to Detroit for Cade and Jeremy Grant? Be like, fuck it, man, you got to go to Detroit then. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the relationships behind the scenes. But again, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Is there there's nothing from preventing Portland in sending him to whoever gives them the best package because he's already locked in. I don't know. Maybe there's there's some wording in his contract. I don't know. I don't know how he can make a demand to a handful of teams, but that seems to be how it always works out, right? To be honest, 
I don't really like how it's being handled. But I guess you could say that every time this situation happens. But for me, the context of who Dame is, his brand, what he said in the past, it looks worse than others, right? Some of these other dudes, AD, Paul George, they, they were sh they're shaky characters anyway. It wasn't surprising with this. It's kind of like, all right, Dame, you kind of you kind of looking funny in the light after the way you've carried yourself and your and the way you've branded yourself. So we'll see. We'll see as that news rolls in. Warrior fans, I got my Moses Moody breakdown coming here soon. There's about 10 days until the draft. I'm going to try and squeeze in about three more. But all reports are the Warriors are trying to package those picks. Like they've come out and said it pretty much, right? So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe all these prospects are, are in vain, at least from a Warriors fan's perspective. But I still enjoy doing it because... After I do all my homework and I've studied these kids, it's always fun to see how it plays out and pans out, right? Something that I read last night, though, that caught my eye, the Utah Jazz are willing to trade Joe Ingles or Bojan Bogdanovic. They said for a significant upgrade, but then they also hinted, the report also hinted that they might have to save money if they want to retain Mike Conley. So they've got they've got some decisions to be made. It's interesting because I could argue that Ingles and Bogdanovich more important than Conley. But it got me to thinking that those two players could be in play for the Warriors. You talk about they want an immediate guy that can help right now. Bogdanovich fits that bill, man. Now the salaries are tough to match. He's at like 17 or 18. You'd have to throw Wiseman in, and then you'd say, well, why does Utah want another seven-footer? Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Bob Myers may have to incorporate a third team and get real creative, but I think that there could be a deal made for some of the Warriors draft capital, young players. I know Utah would love Kavon Looney, so when Gobert is played off the floor, they still have a big because Favors is washed, right? So I think there's something there to be had. It, it, it wouldn't shock me if somehow the Warriors got their hands on Bojan Bogdanovic for the assets that they have. And then obviously he fits the description, right? Just come in and just murder it from the three, four spot. Just some food for thought on that one. Team USA beat Spain in their final exhibition yesterday. They looked better. They did. The starters, I like this kind of small ball starter lineup. They had Dame, Levine, Tatum, Katie, and Draymond. And the ball was hopping around. I'm sure you've heard by now, the ads to the roster are JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson. Pop's asking for it now, right? He's asking for it now. I shot him some bail last week, but he's asking for it now. And look, I love JaVale, but to me, he is not a fit for international play where it's all about positioning. All the bigs internationally, right? It's about footwork, positioning, weight, distribution, and, you know, I foresee JaVale just getting caught in the air and out of position a ton. And then Keldon Johnson. I mean, if if you want a spur pop, at least bring in Murray. At least bring in DeJounte. Maybe he didn't answer your call, so I don't know. I don't know. This is The Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.